Today we continue our, uh, our short series titled, What Would Jesus Preach? And as we noted last week, this is an especially relevant question for us at the, uh, the outset of a new pastoral relationship. It reminds us as a, as a church what we should expect from the preaching of God's Word. And secondly, how we should receive such preaching from God's Word. And as we seek to answer the question, what would Jesus preach if He were preaching today? We're seeking to do so in light of what Jesus did preach. We're looking to His examples in Scripture to learn how and what He would preach, what He did preach. And we're seeking to apply Christ's examples of preaching both from the pulpit as, as well as from the pew. And last week, we began the series by looking at Matthew chapter 22, and we considered that conflict between Christ and the Sadducees. And what we considered from that sermon was both the source and the method of Jesus' preaching. And, of course, the source that we saw of Jesus' preaching was, simply put, the Scriptures. And the reason Christ preached the Scriptures was because of his view of Scripture. Jesus believed that every word of Scripture was the Word of God. And so his method then was to preach all of Scripture. And he would preach it in two ways. He would preach both the breadth and the depth of the Scriptures. From the, from the big picture forest perspective, all the way down to the very narrow trees perspective. Or if you want two new words... Jesus would preach what we might call redemptive historically. That when he would go to the text of Scripture, he would locate Scripture in the grand uh, plan of God's redemption in Christ. So that wherever you go in the Bible, it's related to God's one purpose for his one people and the person and work of Jesus Christ. But that's, that's not the only thing he did. He not only looked at the big picture, he got down into the depths of the text. He would preach redemptive historically, but he would also preach what we might call expositionally. He would take the very text of Scripture, and he would go every word, and he would exposit for his hearers what the text was saying, because again, his view of Scripture was what the text says is what God says. And so today, having considered Jesus' source and his method, we're going to consider the content of Jesus' preaching. What was it that Christ focused on in his sermons? So today, and Lord willing, next week, I'm going to argue that fundamentally, Jesus focused on two things in his preaching. He focused on gospel, and he focused on law. He preached the gospel, or what we might call the, the indicatives. That is, these wonderful statements of truth about what God has done for us in Christ. He preached the gospel, but he would also preach the law. He would preach what we might call the imperatives, what what God calls us in Christ to do for him. And so what I want to show you from Scripture today and, and Lord willing next Sunday is that Christ preached both. He proclaimed the good news of what he had done for us and for our salvation. And he also preached how we, as recipients of this wonderful salvation, are, are to respond with gratitude by living lives 
uh, that glorify King Jesus. So we'll begin this morning by looking to Jesus' example in Mark chapter 1, and I want to consider three elements of Jesus' gospel preaching from this passage. I want to consider how Jesus, when he preached the gospel, he preached bad news, he preached good news, and he also preached the only way in which sinners like us receive this good news. So that's where we're going this morning, and we'll take Mark 1 as our main text, but um, keep your Bibles handy, because we're going to be flipping around a bit and looking at several examples of Jesus preaching as we go along. But we'll begin uh, here in Mark chapter 1, and I'm going to read for us uh, the first 15 verses of Mark 1. This is God's Word. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make his paths straight. John appeared, baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming, a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the Jordan River, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locust and wild honey. And he preached, saying, After me comes one who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I've baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son. With you, I am well pleased. And the Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. And he was in in the wilderness 40 days, being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild animals, and the angels were ministering to him. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God, and saying, The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Let's pray. Father, as we come to this text, I pray that we would be repenting and believing in the gospel, either for the first time if someone is here who doesn't know Christ, or repenting and believing in the gospel afresh this morning as believers in Christ. Help us to learn how Jesus preached. Help us to apply Jesus' preaching in our own church and in our own lives, that he would get the glory and that we, in Christ, would get the joy and we pray in his name. Amen. So Jesus, when he preached the gospel, he preached the bad news. Because the good news doesn't make any sense unless we understand what the bad news is. When we speak about the good news of salvation, it assumes there's something from which we need to be saved. And Dave was just teaching and and, uh, referred to uh, a book by R.C. Sproul, uh, I believe it was called What Are We Saved From, or something to that effect, 
uh, where Sproul gives the account of being on a campus and someone coming up to him and shaking him and saying, have you been saved? And Sproul's response was, saved from what? Well, well, that is the question, isn't it? See, Jesus never preached the gospel, the good news of salvation, without first preaching the bad news from which we must be saved. So what is the bad news that Jesus preached whenever he proclaimed the gospel? Well, three things. He proclaimed the holiness of God, his righteous character, how God is perfectly just and good. Now, that in and of itself isn't bad news at all, uh, but it becomes bad news with the second point that we are sinners. We're sinners by nature, and we're sinners in, in word, thought, and actions. And that follows, if God is holy, if he's righteous, and if he's just, then he cares about sin. He cares about how we've treated him. He cares about how we've treated others. And the Bible says, especially in Jesus' preaching, that judgment is coming. That God himself is bringing his wrath to bear justly upon sinners for how they've treated him and how they've treated others. So where did Jesus preach this bad news? Well, let's look at Mark chapter 1. Go to, go to verses 14 and 15. Verse 14, now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God. So there it is, Jesus preached the gospel. But now verse 15 gives us something of the content of what Christ's gospel preaching entailed. Look at verse 15. And saying, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of heaven is at hand, repent and believe in the gospel. Jesus was preaching the bad news whenever he speaks of the need for repentance. Because what does the need for repentance assume? Well, it assumes sin, doesn't it? It assumes we're going the wrong way and we need to turn from the wrong way. And look, look up in verse 4 of chapter 1. We, we can see this in the preaching of John the Baptist, how he connects repentance with forgiveness of sins. When, when he came preaching in verse 4, he appeared baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. You see, repentance is necessary because we've sinned. And unless we repent, Jesus is telling us that God is going to judge us for our sin. Now, if you want to fill in uh, with a bit more uh, content of what that may have looked like in Jesus' preaching, this is a summary statement, right? We're not getting the full sermon outline of Jesus here in verse 15. But turn with me to Luke chapter 13. Luke chapter 13. Let me just show you another example of where Jesus preached this explicitly. In Luke chapter 13, we've got this context here of a group of people uh, who come to Jesus in verse 1 with, uh, with a report and with uh, an implied question. Look at chapter 13, Luke 13 verse 1. There were some present at that very time who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. So this was an event that had happened. A group of Galileans were on their way to the temple uh, to worship when apparently a group of uh, Roman soldiers had approached them, drew swords, and just slaughtered them. 
together with the animals they were bringing to offer as, as sacrifice. And what they did was they took the, the blood of these people and mixed it with the blood of the animals and probably poured it out on the altar just, just to mock the living God. And so there's an implied question here. The, the people who come to Jesus recounting this event are asking, well, those Galileans... They must have done something really bad to deserve something like that. Right, Jesus? Well, look at how Jesus responds in verse 2. And he said to them, Do you think these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? No. I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all Likewise, perish. See, the Galileans weren't unusually wicked sinners. Jesus is saying they were ordinary sinners, just like everyone else. And he gives another illustration. Look down in verse 4. Or on those 18 on whom the Tower of Siloam fell and killed them, do you think they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? So let me give you another example of a, uh, a tragedy, Jesus says. And this is just another illustration that we are all sinners. And what Jesus is preaching is this, that everyone has sinned, that all sin deserves judgment, and everyone will perish unless they repent. Look again at verse 5. He says it twice. No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. And what does Jesus mean by that word perish? Well, he's not talking about physical death there. He's talking about God's eternal judgment, what the Bible calls hell. You may remember how he uses that same word in John chapter 3, verse 16, that, that familiar verse to us. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him should not what? Perish. And what's the opposite of perishing? But have everlasting life. So that's what Jesus is preaching here. He's preaching that unless we repent of sin, judgment is coming. And everyone has sinned. And everyone is deserving of this judgment. When Christ preached the gospel, he preached the bad news first. Now let me just stop here for a second. Because I've realized this is a largely unpopular subject in our day and age. It's a largely unpopular subject in every age, isn't it? We don't like to hear about sin. We don't like to hear about judgment. People find this offensive, don't they? They find it maybe judgmental. They find it unloving to talk about things like sin and judgment. I I think that's why so many preachers in our day, and even in the past, simply omit this altogether from their preaching. So before we look at the good news that Jesus preached, let me just say a word about the unpopularity of preaching about sin and judgment. Why do so many people find Jesus' preaching of the bad news so very offensive? Well, I think there's, at bottom, one answer to that. And it has to be this. They simply don't believe it's true. Right? A number of years ago, when I lived in Louisville, Kentucky, my boss asked me to come to a, an event sponsored by our church. Uh, they would uh, host authors and pastors and 
uh, give, a, give a speech about a book they had. And they had one pastor and author by the name of Philip Gully who had written a book called If God is Love. And in that book, he argues that this whole notion of preaching sin and judgment is, is bad form. That we, we don't need to believe in things like hell. And we certainly don't need to be preaching things like sin and judgment. And so he, they invited him to come and give a lecture espousing this view outlined in his book, and, and afterward there was a time of question and answer. Well, I was asked to come to this because I was a, a seminary student, and I could tell that my boss didn't quite buy this. So I, I had read the book before going to the lecture, and, and I went with a couple of friends and, and listened to what he had to say, and then and during the time of question and answer, uh, it was apparent to me that he, he wasn't being as clear as, as he was in the book. And so during the time of question and answer, I just I had one question for him, and I tried to make it a, a respectful question, but I just simply asked him, for the sake of the audience, that if Jesus, if Jesus believed, and, and if Jesus taught the reality of hell, would he believe it and would he teach it? Well, I think the audience was shocked to hear him say no. No. Even if Jesus did, I mean, he had a very low view of who Jesus was, but even if Jesus came preaching the bad news, he wouldn't believe it. He wouldn't be preaching it. Unfortunately, I didn't get a chance to ask him a follow-up question, but I think if I had, I would have, I would have asked him why we should trust him over Jesus. But I, I think it was implied. I think the congregation that was there got it. You see, the so-called pastor didn't preach and teach Jesus' view of sin and judgment. Why? Because he simply didn't believe it. He didn't believe it was true. Now, and sadly, that's just, that's just one example of the many who simply think this is an unloving and bad thing to be preaching. That it's negative, that it's down. That we shouldn't have that on Sunday mornings. We should only have that which is uplifting and only that which avoids the, the rough edges, as it were, of the good news. Maybe you're here this morning. Maybe you're here this morning. Maybe you feel the same way. Well, let me just say that this, this bad news that we're talking about here, it is always going to sound offensive and unloving unless you believe it's actually true. Uh, you know, if, if I got a letter in the mail from a local judge offering me a full pardon for a speeding ticket I don't believe I deserved, I'd most certainly be offended by that. Now, if you know me, you, you know I don't drive very fast unless I'm late. But if I received that and I, I honestly didn't believe that I had committed that crime, I'd be offended. The news of that pardon wouldn't be good news to me at all. But suppose I was actually guilty. Suppose I was going 110 and a 45, something just incredulous, right? Uh, if I believed and I knew myself to be guilty, and if I knew the punishment that I deserved for what I had done, would that pardon be offensive any longer? No. What would it be? It would be good news. Because I would believe myself to be guilty of the crime that I was charged with. And I would believe that I deserved the punishment for what I had done. And only by believing 
the truth of the bad news, does the pardon become for me good news? Friends, we'll always find the bad news offensive until we believe it's true of us. When Jesus preached the gospel, he preached the bad news in order that we would understand and receive the good news for what it truly is. Look back at Mark chapter 1, verse 1. Look at how Jesus preached the good news. Right at the very first verse of Mark's gospel, Mark opens by saying, The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. The word gospel is the Greek word euangelion. It's a compound word and it puts together two two other words. It puts together the word good and the word news or message. The gospel means good news. It's good. The 16th century reformer and Bible translator William Tyndale When he came to this Greek word, he translated it like this. He said, the gospel means that which makes a man's heart glad and makes him sing and dance and leap for joy. It was used of a king coming back from victory, announcing his triumph. This is good news, but secondly, it's news, isn't it? It's not a command to be obeyed. It's not a program to be followed. It's a message. Just like we talked earlier in the newspaper. It's a, it's an announcement about something. Not about what we've done, but about what God has done for us in His Son Jesus Christ. This good news that Jesus preached focused on two things. It focused on who Jesus is, And it focuses on what Jesus did for sinners like us. Or if you will, his person and his work. When Jesus preached the good news, he preached the good news about who he was. Look back at verse 1. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. The gospel, friends, is all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. It's it's about Jesus as the Christ. Now, you may look down and see that in your Bible and think that's a last name. It's not a last name. It's a title. The the um, your, your translation may even say Messiah. The long-awaited Messiah and Redeemer of God's people that was prophesied all the way back to the garden has come in the person of Jesus Christ. And not only that, but he was also the divine Son of God. Look at that again. He's Jesus the Christ, the Son of God. The divine Son of God, the Lord himself in the flesh. Look down just a couple more verses. Verse 2. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness. That's referring to John the Baptist. But who is he preparing the way for? Look back at verse 3. Prepare the way of who? The Lord. And make His path straight. And the Old Testament quotation, that's referring to God. So what we're being told here at the outset of this gospel 
is that Jesus is the Christ, God himself come to earth, but for a purpose. Mark defines the gospel for us so that when we come to verses 14 and 15, we know exactly what he's talking about. We know exactly what Jesus was preaching. Look at, look at verses 12 and 13. Look how Mark sets up verses 14 and 15. We have the baptism of Jesus. And then immediately after that, the Spirit drives Jesus into the wilderness. If you're unfamiliar with this passage, it, it probably sounds strange to you. But here's what was going on here. Jesus is driven out into the wilderness by the Holy Spirit for 40 days. And look at what verse 13 says. That whole time, what's going on? He's being tempted by Satan the entirety of the time. And what he's doing is he is obeying where Adam in the garden failed. Remember the garden? You remember Adam being tempted and Eve being tempted by the serpent, by Satan? And remember the challenge to obedience that Satan brought. And how Satan won victory that day, as it were, as Adam sinned. And as we've just been praying together for so much suffering and death in our own lives, we, we, that all goes back to this fall in the garden. And what Jesus is doing is he's coming as the second Adam, the greater Adam, the last Adam, And he's doing what Adam couldn't do. He's doing what you and I, friends, can't do. He's obeying the law of God. He's fulfilling it for his people. He's living the life that we should have lived but haven't. And that's just the beginning. He was obedient, the scriptures say, to the point of death, even death on a cross. Turn with me just a few chapters later to Mark chapter 8. Mark chapter 8, verse 27. Here we have the great confession that Jesus is the Christ about his person in verses 27 through 30, where Jesus says, who do people say that I am? But then he gets personal. He says, who do you say that I am? And Peter answers right. He says, you're the Christ. But then look at verse 31. Not only does Jesus reveal who he is, but what he came to do. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man, that is Jesus, must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed. And after three days, rise again. So what did Jesus come to do for us, friends? He came to live the life we should have lived. And he came to die the death that we should have died. When we read about Jesus being nailed to a cross, he didn't deserve that. We deserve that. And he came to do that for us in our place. And to rise three days later triumphant, having accomplished the work the Father gave him to do. Jesus says it again in Mark chapter 9. We could look at it again in Mark chapter 10. We could multiply instances of Jesus preaching the good news about what he came to do for sinners in his life, death, and resurrection. But 
That's why in Mark chapter 1, verse 38, Jesus says to Simon, Let us go on to the next towns, that I may preach there also, for that is why I came. He came to preach the good news, and he came to be the good news. So he preached the bad news of sin and judgment. He preached the good news about what he came to do for sinners, about who he was, and the work he accomplished for his people. But lastly, as we close, he preached how we receive the good news of salvation. Look with me one last time at Mark 1, verses 14 and 15. One last time. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. And look at what he says. How do we receive it? Repent and believe in the gospel. Receiving the gospel is by repentance and faith. To repent simply means to turn from sin. Now, don't confuse repentance with the whole notion of of penance that we find in other traditions, like the Roman Catholic tradition. Now, repentance is a heart issue. The Bible talks about fruits of repentance, confessing sin, turning from sin in our behavior, living righteous lives. But the word repentance is is an internal notion. It's a change in heart. You go from rebelling and running from God in your mind, in your heart, in your very affections. And then God performs the miracle inside of you. He takes out your heart of stone. He gives you a heart of flesh. And what do you now want? What do you desire? What What is the trajectory of your heart when God changes you? It's Christ, right? Because that's the other side to the coin. Repentance, but also faith. To believe in the gospel is to turn from sin to Jesus. To receive and to rest in all that God is for you in Christ. To just simply receive His life, death, and resurrection for your forgiveness. These are, these are two sides of the same coin. It's not what you do. That's not the message of the gospel. We'll talk about how we should respond next Sunday. But make sure you understand this point. There's one way and only one way that sinners receive this good news. And it's by simply trusting in Christ. You can't do enough good deeds to get this good news. You can't serve enough time to pay for what you ought to pay. Your one and only hope is that God in Christ pays that for you and that you simply receive it by turning from sin and trusting in Him. Hearing the preaching of the gospel without receiving it yourself, it's like standing behind the glass just watching the parade go by. Without repentance and faith, the gospel, it's still good news. It's just not good news for you. That's why Jesus called for a response when he proclaimed the gospel. That's why we seek to do the same. 
And so as we close this morning, just one question for application. I'm not going to tell you to do anything this morning. One question. Have you received, received by faith, this good news of salvation in Jesus Christ? Friends, if you haven't received this, would you do it today? Would you go home and think about this? Go home and reread this passage? Read more about who Jesus is and what he's done for you? Would you receive it today? Or, if you've been a believer for decades, would you remember and trust afresh in Christ and see him as your only hope, as your only Savior? Give him the praise and glory for what he has done in your life. Because only then will next week's sermon make any sense. Because the Christian life of obedience is a life of gratitude for what Christ has done for you. And so, come to Christ this morning if you haven't. Or if you have, come to Him afresh. And receive from Him all that He is for you in the Gospel. Let's pray. Father, we do ask for the Holy Spirit's help to trust in Christ to turn from sin and to simply receive from him the good news of salvation for sinners like us. And we pray in his name. Amen.